You are listening to community-supported radio, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Wednesday, February 3rd, 2021. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. Right after the NPR News headlines, we'll have the California Report from KQED Public Radio, followed by a roundup of regional weather and news. Then we'll air Felton Pruitt's interview with Ramona Howard, Executive Director of Nevada County Media. For their support of KVMR, we thank 1849 Brewing Company, brewing lagers, ales, and a variety of craft beers, offering a pub-style menu, wood-fired pizzas, open daily for takeout only, 9 a.m. to 7 p.m., Sutton Way, Grass Valley, 1849brewingcompany.com. And Harmony Books of Nevada City, locally owned for over 25 years, next to the Chamber of Commerce at 130 Main Street. Open Monday through Saturday, 10 to 5.30, Sundays 11 to 4. Harmony Books carries thousands of books, including local authors. Here are the latest headlines from National Public Radio. Live from NPR News, I'm Jack Spear. The Biden administration and Senate Democrats met at the White House today to move forward with a nearly $2 trillion coronavirus relief bill. NPR's Windsor Johnson reports congressional Republicans continue to balk at the price tag and have countered with a much smaller bill. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says if Republicans are not willing to take a bold approach, Democrats are prepared to move forward without them. We will not repeat the mistakes of the past. Our goal is simple, to help the American people and the American economy and do it fast. President Biden reiterated his push for $1,400 in direct payments, adding that he's not going to start his administration by breaking a promise to the American people. Republicans continue to push for the checks to be more targeted to those below a certain income threshold. Additional aid for state and local governments is another major sticking point in talks. Windsor Johnston, NPR News, Washington. The Biden administration says that it's preparing to notify Congress it intends to dramatically increase U.S. U.S. admissions of refugees, unwinding in another policy carried out under the Trump administration of making it more difficult for people to enter the U.S. It's expected Biden this week will announce he's increasing the cap on the number of refugees allowed into the U.S. to more than eight times the level at which the Trump administration left it. Trump had dramatically reduced the cap to only 15,000 when he left office. Biden's plan, which would require congressional consultation, would raise that number to 125,000. The Biden administration has named more members of the team that will tackle the addiction crisis. NPR's Brian Mann reports overdose deaths have surged to record levels during the coronavirus pandemic. The White House team includes veteran drug policy experts as well as people who are themselves in recovery from addiction. In a statement, the acting head of the Office of National Drug Control Policy, Regina LaBelle, describes mounting rates of overdose deaths and untreated addiction as major challenges. She says the administration will focus on racial equity in drug policy and on expanding access to science-based care, including medications used to treat opioid addiction. Researchers say more than 220 Americans are dying from overdoses every day. President Biden still hasn't nominated a permanent head of his drug policy office or a person to head the Food and Drug Administration. Those officials will face Senate confirmation. Brian Mann, NPR News. Newly appointed Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg says he is deeply optimistic about the future of travel, notwithstanding the devastating effects of the coronavirus pandemic on the economy. 
The pandemic has sent millions of Americans home for months, slashed tourism and business travel, and deeply affected the airlines. Hearted transportation sector is seeking $130 billion in additional government assistance. On Wall Street, the Dow was up 36 points today. The Nasdaq fell two points. You're listening to NPR. Country music star Morgan Wallen has been suspended by his record label and dropped by multiple radio networks and the country music television channel. NPR's Andrew Limbong reports the move comes after TMZ posted video of Wallen using a racial slur. In a clip posted by TMZ Tuesday night, Morgan Wallen is seen exiting a car at night and then saying the N-word. Wallen issued a statement to TMZ saying, quote, There are no excuses to use this type of language ever. I want to sincerely apologize for using the word. I promise to do better. Morgan Wallen's Dangerous, the double album, has been at the top of the Billboard 200 chart since it debuted three weeks ago, which is a big deal. According to Billboard, the last country album to do that was Taylor Swift's Red in 2013. In October, Wallen was disinvited from playing Saturday Night Live after he was videoed partying, breaking COVID protocols. He eventually appeared on the show in December. Andrew Limbong, NPR News. Leaders of the World Economic Forum, usually held in Davos, Switzerland, say this year's event is being postponed again due to the coronavirus pandemic. The forum, which staged a virtual Davos agenda last month, says the in-person event this year will take place in Singapore in August rather than in May. It had been previously planned. The latest change for the lead gathering of government leaders, business executives, civil society advocates, artists, actors, and musicians. Because of concerns over COVID-19, the event, usually held in January, had already been pushed back once before being moved from Switzerland to Singapore. Crude oil futures prices continue to move higher. Oil up 93 cents a barrel to 55.69 a barrel in New York. I'm Jack Spear, NPR News. This is the California Report. I'm Lily Jamali. California's COVID-19 surge has crested. Both positive case numbers and hospitalizations are declining. And Dr. Mark Galley is making a promising prediction about the state's hospitalization numbers. He's the secretary of the California Health and Human Services Department. We predict that fewer than half the people we have in hospitals today will be in hospitals 30 days from now across the state. Though he warned that could change quickly if people let down their guard. Galley urged residents to avoid Super Bowl gatherings this weekend. The virus is still widespread. Nearly all of California's counties are in the most restricted status for reopening, and the death toll continues to be at an all-time high. About 540 people are dying in California daily. In another sign that the COVID-19 crunch is easing in our hospitals, the state public health department says nurse staffing ratios will begin to return to normal. KPCC's Jackie Fortier reports. As the pandemic swept through Southern California, COVID-19 patients flooded emergency rooms in L.A. Hospitals were increasingly desperate to find enough staff to care for them. So the state allowed hospitals to apply for waivers, allowing nurses to take care of more patients at once than they normally would. Now, as the number of people hospitalized has decreased, the state says hospitals must make an effort to return to pre-pandemic staffing ratios. All approved staffing waivers will expire next week unless there's an unprecedented circumstance. It's unclear how many hospitals in L.A. will seek to continue their staffing waivers. There are still more than 5,000 people hospitalized with COVID-19 in L.A., which is several times higher than the number before this latest surge. 
For the California Report, I'm Jackie Fortier in Los Angeles. In Washington, President Joe Biden recently signed an executive order directing the Justice Department to stop contracting with private prisons. So what impact could that have on detention facilities here in California? KVCR's Benjamin Perper has more on that. Biden's executive order directs the Department of Justice not to renew its contracts with privately operated prisons, but that doesn't cover private immigration detention facilities like Adelanto. In fact, the company that operates the facility, GeoGroup, entered into a contract with the federal government in late 2019 that could keep Adelanto open until 2034. Ava Bitran is with the ACLU of Southern California. She says she hopes the Biden administration will treat private immigration detention centers the same way it now treats private prisons. We just really hope that the Biden administration sees that the same equities that lead them to understand why private prisons are harmful in the criminal context apply with equal force in the immigration context. And indeed that incarceration in general, right, not just private incarceration, is always for somebody's profit. ACLU SoCal has sued ICE over concerns about detainees contracting the coronavirus in the Adelanto facility, which, according to ICE's website, has seen 270 positive cases as of January 31st. For the California Report, I'm Benjamin Perper in San Bernardino. A new poll shows just over half of Californians approve of the job Governor Gavin Newsom is doing. KQED's Katie Orr reports these findings are better for Newsom than another recent poll. The Public Policy Institute of California finds 54 percent of Californians approve of how Newsom is doing his job. That's higher than a recent Berkeley IGS poll that placed his approval at 46 percent. PPIC President Mark Baldessari says he was surprised to see Newsom's approval so high in his poll. I've heard so much negative commentary about Gavin Newsom over the last several weeks that it was hard to imagine that his approval ratings would be above a majority. Baldessari says he thinks it's too soon to ask about a possible recall of Newsom before it's even qualified for the ballot. For the California Report, I'm Katie Orr in Sacramento. And we have a correction on a related story that we reported on our show yesterday. We incorrectly reported the proportion of voters surveyed in a recent Berkeley IGS poll who said that they would support removing Governor Newsom from office in the event of a recall. 36% of voters support removing him, 45% support retaining him. We flipped those numbers yesterday and we regret the error. Support for the California report comes from water heaters only specializing in the repair and replacement of water heaters since 1968. Licensed and insured, open 24 hours a day every day. Learn more at waterheatersonly.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, working to advance the frontiers of ocean research, sharing the connection between life on land and life at sea with everyone everywhere. And Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash AdaptingCare. California's outgoing Attorney General Javier Becerra has filed a brief with a federal appeals court arguing that the federal government should be allowed to enforce its robocall ban for the years 2015 to 2020. Rachel Myro explains from KQED's Silicon Valley News Desk. 
You might be surprised to learn the Telephone Consumer Protection Act of 1991 made most unsolicited robocalls illegal. Remember the do not call list? Surprised because so many years later, we're still collectively fending off tens of billions of robocalls every year. It's outrageous. Honestly, I almost didn't pick up when Roger Entner of Recon Analytics called, even though I contacted him first, but then... He gets robocalls, too. In this case, I'm for massive and disproportionate fines, right? Federal regulators at the FCC and FTC are supposed to enforce federal laws. But there's been a legal tangle tying up the TCPA after 2015, when Congress exempted robocalls about government-backed debt. You know, things like student loans. The U.S. Supreme Court struck down that amendment last year, but not the TCPA. The TCPA overall is valid. Which is where Attorney General Becerra and more than 30 state attorneys general come in. They want the Sixth Circuit Appeals Court to reverse a lower court decision in 2019 that put TCPA enforcement on hold for the years 2015 through 2020. Otherwise, as Becerra's statement says, robocallers get a five-year hall pass. Again, here's Entner. It's setting the tone. It's keeping up the pressure. You have the best results when both states and the federal government are working together to solve this issue that everybody hates. Oh, sorry, I may have to get that. For the California Report, I'm Rachel Myro. And that is the California Report for this Wednesday, February 3rd. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Lily Jamali. Thanks so much for listening. In regional weather, in the Nevada City Grass Valley area, showers and clouds will give way this evening to mainly clear skies and an overnight low of 36 degrees. Thursday is expected to be sunny with a high of 55 degrees and a low of 44. For the next week, our area is looking at a series of mostly sunny days with high temperatures of about 60 degrees and lows of around 40. There is no precipitation in the forecast for the next week. In Truckee, a few snow showers are forecast to give way this evening to mostly cloudy conditions and an overnight low of 21 degrees. Thursday in Truckee is expected to be sunny with a high of 41 and a low of 21. Sunny weather and maximum temperatures in the high 40s are expected in Truckee in the coming week. The National Weather Service in Sacramento reported today that the Sierra snowpack is now 70% of normal thanks to the storm earlier this week. The Sacramento area will be partly cloudy tonight with an overnight low of 37 degrees and an expected high on Thursday of 59 and a low of 35. Mostly sunny days with highs near the mid-60s and lows around 40 degrees are expected in Sacramento for the next week. Updates on COVID-19 vaccine distribution in Nevada County will be available starting Thursday when UBINET hosts the first of a planned series of weekly noon webinars. The goal is to provide listeners and viewers with the facts on what Ubinet calls this rapidly evolving situation. According to Ubinet, public health officials will provide live updates on the availability of the vaccine and what to expect in the following week. The link to register for the Zoom meeting is at ubinet.com, and if you miss the live call, you can watch the archived video on Ubinet's YouTube channel. Questions for panelists can be emailed to townhall 
at ubinet.com. The Department of Public Health's COVID-19 dashboard indicated as of Tuesday evening, 11 new cases reported that day in Nevada County. The dashboard reflects that the county currently has 586 total active cases of the illness. The Nevada County Grand Jury today released its investigation into the county election office's management of the November presidential election. The jury concluded that Nevada County voters should have confidence in their election officials. The jury concluded that officials were well-prepared and the election proceeded with minimal disruption. Nevada County certified its results on November 25th, nearly a week earlier than required by state law. Turnout was nearly 90% of registered county voters. The grand jurors observed that poll workers were knowledgeable and well-trained to interact with voters. COVID-19 safety protocols were observed, and illegal electioneering at polling places was largely kept in check. Election officials reported few isolated incidents of uncooperative voters in Nevada County. The report said that none of these incidents, quote, rose to a level of violence, unquote. In California, elections may be observed by the public. Historically, members of the grand jury have participated as official election observers. The jury's report noted that election officials say election fraud is rare in Nevada County and that suspected cases are turned over to the district attorney. The report noted that the union newspaper reported that in 2016, there were two cases of election fraud in Nevada County that resulted in prosecution. The grand jury was unable to identify any cases in the six elections occurring since that date. The grand jury's report noted that at some of the vote centers, the designated observation area was so far removed from the check-in counter that observers had a difficult time seeing the interaction between vote center workers and the voter. The Freed Center for Independent Living is planning two drive through events in mid-February to distribute emergency supplies and personal protective equipment to people with disabilities and older adults. Each person who attends will receive a complimentary bag that includes a hand-crank solar-powered radio, flashlight, masks, face shields, flash drive, hand sanitizer, and protective document folder filled with resources. Protective gowns and disposable gloves for caregivers also will be available upon request. These free drive-through pickup events are available to people of all ages with any type of disability, older adults, family members, and caregivers. These events will take place Tuesday, February 16th and Thursday, February 18th from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at Freed's office at 435 Sutton Way in Grass Valley. Next up on the KVMR Evening News, we're going to check in with Nevada County Media. Ramona Howard is the executive director, and they moved into a new building about a year ago, right before COVID hit. Let's check in and find out just what's going on with our media friends. We're talking with Ramona Howard, the executive director of Nevada County Media. Thought we'd just catch people up, Ramona, about exactly what Nevada County Media is doing. Now, you guys moved uh, about a year ago, right before COVID all hit and stuff, and and got a brand new situation going, didn't you? We did. And where did you move to? We are up on Crown Point. We are in the back of a building. Um, analog devices in, is in the front, and we're in the back. So 
So we moved from about 900 square feet, shared space, to a 10,000 square foot facility. So we're occupying 10,000 square feet. You don't lack for space then? No, we have a couple of pretty significant studios. We have some private editing bays. We have a nice big lounge. It's pretty nice. Well, let's give people a little bit of the history of Nevada County Media now. As I remember from years gone by, it was NCTV, or Nevada County TV. Correct. It has kind of morphed and grown over the years. You provide, what, three cable channels? Yes, three cable channels that we program 24-7, and about nine YouTube channels currently working on a Roku channel, a Twitch channel. Uh, I mean... People consume their media all different ways, so our objective is to put it out there different ways. You can take one piece of content and put it out there multiple ways. The three cable channels, those relate to Comcast, do they? Both Comcast and Suddenlink. Okay. So it's Comcast 11, 17, and 18, and then it's Suddenlink 16, 17, and 18. And I know on at least one of these channels, you carry a lot of our local government uh, happenings and stuff, such as like a board of supervisors meetings or or city councils. Can you talk to that? Correct. Comcast Channel 17, we live stream those or live broadcast those board of soup meetings, city council meetings, planning meetings uh, for all three jurisdictions. And those happen live. You can refer to their website as to what days of the week those happen on. And then we also rebroadcast those meetings. So that particular channel is only for our local government items. Could have local politics in there too, but it's specific to local government. So it's a good way to keep up with what's happening in our area if you really want to know or you want to know maybe you want to vote next vote election or something, you want to know who's doing what. This would be a very good source. Yeah, yeah. And for those people who don't have cable... Uh, we pull those streams and we push them to our website so you don't have to have cable to watch cable. And we do that for all three of those channels. So on our website, which is nevadacountymedia.org, if you just hit the Watch Now button, you'll find it down at the bottom of the page. But in addition to putting the broadcasting those on cable, uh, let's just talk about the government stuff right now, we also pull those and put them on a YouTube channel that we have. So we have a government YouTube channel. So then people can watch it whenever they want. And what is that? So How If I go to YouTube? Just search for Nevada County Media Government Channel. But again, all of that's on that Watch Now page on our website, so it makes it really easy to find all of our channels. Talk about some of the other wonderful experiences you can have when you go to Nevada County Media. The objective was to build a production facility that was more like a creative hub. So we took a little bit of what like a creative space would be, like a Curious Forge or, you know, like a makerspace, um, and combining that with a teaching facility. So a lot of what we do here is we teach, both in class and hands-on, um, and we do that through a variety of projects. But then we also wanted to provide this hub where filmmakers and musicians and artists or you know, really anybody in the creative realm wanted to come and collaborate with other people or use the space. We have everything from private editing rooms and studios and cameras and lights and audio gear and all of that. 
But when we moved in here, we decided to add a small recording studio for audio. We have a room that we can do podcasting in. So it was expanding a bit out from just video to all media. That's hence why we changed the name also from NCTV to Nevada County Media. Providing, a, like I said, that hub that people can come to. Now, the sad thing is we built this and then COVID hit. Yeah, it's kind of sad. We built a, we built a facility to gather and we haven't done much gathering. But that'll come back. We're not too worried about it. Now, in addition to that part of it, we've been, for the past three years, building up our production services. So we have a, an in-house paid team that we can provide a variety of production services. So we work on everything from, you know, little mini documentaries to some informational videos to some tutorials. We just did a series of tutorials for the arts and schools program. And that is our paid team that works on those things. And then what we do is we take our interns and team them up with our paid team. So our interns get to work on some actual projects, but with people that know what they're doing. So we had paid production in there. We teach. <laughs> we have this, this hub that people can join. And then we have that whole distribution side, which is all our cable channels and YouTube channels. So if people want to get involved with uh, Nevada County Media, what's the best way for them to do that? Probably go to our website and fill out an application, either for an internship or as a volunteer or a board member or an engineer. or I mean, we have a whole slew of things that people can volunteer for. That's right there on the front page. So they just scroll down and uh, join the team, and it's just filling out an application. Do you have any yeah. projects that you'd like to highlight uh, coming up in the future? We do. We have one that we're getting ready to announce, so this will be news. You'll, you'll be the first one with this information. We're getting ready to roll in a museum project into our facility where we will be preserving our video history. So we're taking the, the museum that the guys over at Grass Valley Group has put together and combining that with a bunch of stuff from other people, and we are creating that here. So people can come in and view that, talk with people. That probably isn't going to happen until the summer, but that's a, that's a pretty significant uh, project for us here at Nevada County Media. We certainly wish you luck with everything you're doing, and thank you for the work that you're doing for the community. We've been talking with Ramona Howard, the Executive Director of Nevada County Media. Give out the uh, phone numbers and websites one more time for everybody. Sure. It's nevadacountymedia.org, and the phone number here is 530-272-8862. And our hours are Monday through Friday, 10 to 4. All right. Thank you very much, Ramona. You're welcome. Take it easy. That was Ramona Howard from Nevada County Media. If you want to get a hold of them, you can call 530-272-8862 or go to nevadacountymedia.org. I'm Felton Pruitt for the KVMR Evening News. You've been listening to the KVMR Evening News on KVMR-FM in Nevada City. On Thursday's edition of the KVMR Evening News, Keith Porter will interview Dr. Scott Kellerman, Nevada County's newly appointed public health officer, for the latest on the county's COVID-19 response. 
Dr. Kellerman will also be Keith's guest for a full 30 minutes on The Sages Among Us one week from tonight. On tonight's Sages Among Us, coming up next at 6.30, Lori Burkhart Frank will interview County Supervisor Sue Hook. And at 7 tonight, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. everyone, this is Vicki Stanton, occasional host of Sunday Night's A Word in Edgewise, here to tell you that KVMR cherishes you, our listeners, and we are doing our darndest to entertain you, inform you, and keep you safe during these challenging times. We hope you cherish us enough to support us as we all move forward to the happier times ahead. The support you provide helps us to keep the lights on and the love flowing. We know that for some this may not be a time when you can spare any funds. We love you regardless. But for those who have the means, please consider helping us out by making a donation. With your help, we can continue to provide you with entertainment, information, and emergency reports. Please call 530-265-9555 or go to www.kvmr.org and click on the Donate button. And thank you. Stay safe. Cherish is a word I use to describe.